Welcome back to the Informal Podcast. Apparently, we are just turning into a golf major podcast at this point, but I'm not too upset about it. I'm Austin Coley, as always, here with my good friend Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Look, the summertime is going to be tough for us to get regular podcasts out, so what are we going to do? Conditions are tough. These conditions that we're playing in are tough right now. And we're just going to hammer out four podcasts during the summer. And then maybe, you know, maybe during the wintertime, we'll bang some more out. We'll see. But it's major season. It's the Open. It is the Open. And I could not be more excited about this. The only thing that I don't like about the Open is it is when I'm sleeping most of the time, (laughs) which, you know, definitely poses an issue. So we're going to have to get up early to watch it this week. But in this podcast, we're going to focus mainly on the Open at Royal Port Rush in Northern Ireland, and I couldn't be more excited to get going. Anything right off the top that you think, any storylines going in, anything that you've heard that you want to talk about right up front before this major? There's so much to talk about, and at the same time, I can't put my finger on one specific thing. Um, we can. Are we just going to pretend throughout this podcast that Brooks Koepka is not going to win? Are we going to talk about this tournament like other people have a chance? Or are we just going to come out and say that Brooks Koepka is going to win and then sign off? So, yeah, that, that may be tough because if the listeners remember, before the Open, the U.S. Open, sorry, that gets confusing, before the U.S. Open, we decided that we were each going to pick one golfer we think is going to win, and if neither of the golfer wins, we cannot choose either of those until we actually choose a golfer that wins. So, neither one of us, spoiler alert, neither one of us got it right at the U.S. Open. So I, went, I picked Brooks, who finished second, and he should have won if it wasn't for Gary Woodland and won his one major of his lifetime. Hey, and, Brooks Kepka, how about you make not a par on that par for, on 18, all right? Birdie, birdie number 18 one time, maybe you win, all right? If take he was a more awful, aggressive yeah. line. Go, well, yeah. Why are you laying hit, up? Hit at the tree the whole time. Hit it left of the tree. Because oh. at that point, who cares? You finish second or fourth. Doesn't matter. Look, right? Okay. You I realize. I realize that this tournament happened three weeks ago, but we hadn't had a po- hadn't had a podcast since then. When he hit, took that line on eighteen, I wanted to turn the TV off. What are you doing? Hit your driver. Hit it straight over the ocean and make an eagle and win the tournament. What are you doing? How about that shot that Woodland had on 17, though, the chip up the green? That was the stupidest shot I've ever seen. That shouldn't count. If I attempt to hit that shot, I'm either, one, taking a humongous divot out of the green and chunking it, or what's most likely going to happen is I'm going to catch it right on the bottom of the club face and send it directly into the Pacific Ocean. He did not. He stuck it within, like, two feet. There's no, no, first of all, you would not take a divot because you're going to be standing on the green at Pebble Beach and you're like, if I take a divot, they're going to arrest me. So you're going to intentionally <laughs> not take a divot and you're going to blade it all the way back to the tee box. You're going to hit it 180 yards. And yeah, I don't know. It was an incredible shot after an yeah. awful shot, an awful tee shot. And he still made a par. Yeah, it, it was crazy when he hit that tee shot. And when Brooks on 18, I thought, man, this could, it could get interesting. But then sort of quieted down pretty quickly but alas that was in the past neither of us can pick brooks and that's a fact and is brooks gonna win like he's got the second best odds and he wins almost every major so like yeah he probably is gonna win i'd give him like a 50 50 chance of winning which is stupid when you think about it that's like tiger woods early 2000s level stuff if we if we played this tournament 10 times he'd probably win five of them um but neither of us can pick him so I don't know. I don't really know what else to talk about him, but let's talk a little bit about 
Go ahead. Before we move on from Brooks, did you see during the press conference today, They I didn't hear the, the entire question, but it was something to the effect of, hey, Brooks Kepka, how is your preparation different for the majors versus regular tournaments? Did you hear what his answer was to that question? I did not. He basically looked the guy in the eye and he said, well, I actually practice for the majors. And they're like, what do you mean? And he was like, a regular tournament? I don't practice for a regular tournament. And they're like, what do you mean don't practice? He said, the golf that you see me play on TV is all the golf I play, which is that, – So he doesn't, he doesn't practice Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. He just shows up. Shows up plays. on Thursday at his tee time and plays. That's what he said. So I, I had two questions about this. My first question is how does that make you feel realizing that you probably play more golf than the best golfer in the world? Um, well, a lot worse about my game now, <laughs> right? Because I always try to pin my game on, I don't get out and play enough. But I guess if the number one golfer in the world doesn't get out and play that much either, either then I can't say that again anymore. But it also makes me mad. Like, for, and selfishly, I want the best golfer in the world to spend his entire life just like devoted to the sport, like dreaming about the sport, you know, eating at the clubhouse, you know, just doing everything for golf and just being like super passionate about it. And this is another reason why people don't like Brooks is he's like, yeah, I'm going to show up and play and, you know, I'm probably going to win. Like, <laughs> it's no fun to root for that guy. Basically, you want your golfers all to be Tiger Woods. Exactly. Yeah. That's why, why can't they all be Tiger Woods? That's why people love Tiger so much. So my second question about this press conference question is, do you believe him? Um, no. No, I, I think he tries to pull, put on a cool guy front a lot of times. I think he, this, is his, this is his reputation, right, that he's aloof and doesn't really like golf that much, and he's totally playing into it. He's trying to be the villain. He's trying to be the bad guy. And he's going to come out and shoot 30 under this week and win by 10 strokes. <laughs> well, they did say the wind is not going to blow. Which, no wind, no rain. Which could, could change, obviously, because it's right on the coast, and you never know what happens over there. But... If the wind doesn't blow and the rain doesn't come, guys could go really low because the conditions will not be very tough. So, just looking at the course, it looks like a lot of like a 440 yard par fours, which is, I mean, that's birdieville for Brooks Kepka with no wind. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing about a 440 yard par four is that it could either be you could just get make a lot of threes, right? You shoot really low, but if the wind's blowing, the rain is coming down and they're tucking pins behind some of these mammoth bunkers. It could be a lot of fives and a lot of doubles. So I, I think if they don't have rain and they don't have wind, the RNA will try to tuck these pins in tough locations and make this, this course pretty hard. Um, and, you know, make these challenge these golfers a little bit because, you know, I don't know how much of a challenge it's going to be if they just play it up, you know, straight up. But remains to be seen yeah i mean if there's they, they can't do anything about the weather conditions right so if it's calm and if it's sunny then a 450 yard par four for a guy like brooks kepka or dustin johnson or roy McIlroy, it's a 340 yard drive and it's a pitching wedge into the green and at that point it doesn't really matter where you put the pin those guys are going to hit it within 10 to 15 feet and they're going to make half of those putts and that's an eight or nine under round so right which i mean as a casual golf fan, I'm totally fine with that. I would love to see that kind of golf. But at the same time, you could turn around, wake up the next morning after conditions like that on one day and have it raining sideways with you know gale force winds and nobody shooting under 75. So it's, so it's going to be exciting. I, 
I think we're at a crossroads here in our golf watching preference. And I say that to ask you this question. Would you rather the champion of the Open, the guy who's going to carry the Claret Jug for one year and then return it to the next Open Championship? Which is wild, by the way. I didn't know that was a thing. Right. Would you rather him shoot 25 under and win, or would you rather him shoot 6 under and win? I don't know that it matters that much. Like, intellectually, I don't have a preference. I think when it actually comes down to it, I think I might prefer a 25-under winner for this reason. Because if if the winner is, you know, 6-under, right around par, then once somebody gets a two-shot lead, it's pretty much over, right? So if, if the leader's at 3-under and no one else is under par the tournament's over because if the course is set up that difficult, nobody is going to be able to birdie the last four holes to make it close. But if it's, you know, if everybody's in the high teens or even like they were at the masters this year, where it was like, you know, between what, 12 and 16, there's a chance that somebody could reel off three or four birdies in a row and come out of nowhere to get to the top of the leaderboard. And I find that interesting. That being said, if I'm actually watching the tournament on Sunday, the score doesn't mean that much to me. I care more about who's in contention than what the actual number is. That is a disgusting take. <laughs> I feel it, like it was pretty soft. I I would way rather the winner finish really low under par. So, you know, like one, two, three, four, five, six. Or even over par. Because I think the goal of a major championship is to create a test, right? Like if you want to go shoot 26 under par, like great, go play John Deere or whatever, you know, like this is all the best golfers in the world coming to a location and playing like a really good golf course and one of the hardest and most challenging tests. If they made the golf course really easy, like anybody could go win it, you know? I mean, look at, look at the PGA tour this year. A lot of those courses, you can just bomb and gouge and, I mean, there's been so many first-time winners, which is great for the tour, but, you know, I just think you got to make it a really tough test of golf to bring out the best players in the game and, and put them to the test. I and disagree. So, like, I, for what? Go, go ahead. How, how so? Because, it, like, so the course is easier, scores are lower. You know who's still the favorite? Brooks Kepka. Like, it doesn't make a difference how low the score is. The best golfers are still the best golfers. Yeah, but but then it just becomes like a birdie fest. Like who can who can hit it the furthest down the fairway? And even if you miss right, even if you miss left, you're still gonna have a good shot in to put it within five or six feet because the pin's not tucked very high. And you just you know either make the putt or you don't. And you move on to the next hole. Like if if you have a tough test of golf, you're gonna be thinking, okay, I can't miss right here because you've got a bunch of tall fescue over there. And but the green is tucked in the back left, so I can bail out left, but I won't have a good shot in, and I'll probably make par. Or I can test that right side. If I get in a good spot, then I could hit a draw into the into the pin and have a you know leave myself a ten footer. You have to play it perfectly almost to make birdie. Or a course like I said, where you can just drive it down anywhere and and hack it up and and have a good chance for birdie. I like courses that really challenge guys to think from the tee box all the way to when they finish out. And, like, I mean, I don't know a ton about Royal Portrush. Never seen it because they haven't played a meaningful tournament besides the Irish Open 
which was in 2012 in a long time due to uh, political reasons. reasons yeah in the northern ireland but i know it, it golf world ranked it um fourth on the 100th greatest courses in the british isles and golf magazine ranked it 12th in their last in their list of top 100 courses in the entire world golf digest ranked it as the fourth best course outside of the u.s so it's like it's a stupid good course and so i'm good as long as it's challenging guys all over the place and it isn't just let's see how many birdies we can make hit it anywhere and just ram it up there you know you you're probably right look i'm I'm self-proclaimed to be fairly new to golf, right? I've, I've played more golf in the last six weeks than I have my entire life. I've watched more golf this year than I have in any year prior to this year. So the nuances of what's a quote-unquote good course versus a bad course are kind of lost on me. I just like watching the golf. And my 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 biggest point with with this discussion is that if you tune in on Sunday afternoon and – You've got Kepka and Tiger and DJ and Rory and Spieth all within like the top 10, all coming down the back nine. I don't care what the score is, you know? I just want to see those guys go at it. And whatever the, yeah. however the course is set up, however tall the rough is, whatever the weather's doing, none of that is going to tangibly affect my viewing experience. I just want to see the best golfers possible in contention at the end. And the way that you're presenting it is probably the best way to make that happen. And that's a level of golf that I'm not quite to as a as a golf analyst, I guess. We analysts at this point. We're golf podcast. But that, that's my take is I care more about who's in contention than what the score is. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I think when it comes down to it, if you've got a good, solid leaderboard, like I'm, I'm fine with that too. But, I mean, I think you, you just have to, you know, make it a test from beginning to end to have a solid leaderboard. You know, like that. That, that's that's all I'm thinking. But like for instance, I'm I'm looking at the number one hole here at Royal Portrush, and like it's a 421 yard par four. Like you said, you know a lot a chance to make birdie, but a lot of chance to make double because they've got a bunker on the right at 277 down and a bunker on the left at 304. So, and that bunker on the left's in the fairway, and a lot of these guys with the hard run out can hit it. You know that bunker's in play for them. So. If they decide to go over it with the driver, the fairway really narrows, um, and there's a lot of fescue to the left there, so they could hit it in that. And then there's a couple of bunkers up there near the green, and I guarantee you that one in front, if you hit it short on that green, it's going to roll back in and false front. So, I mean, there's just (laughs) – I like when courses have hazards that are in play on and make you think, like I said, to play it. Okay, Maybe I should hit three wood here because I don't want to hit in that bunker because then I'm going to be severely penalized. Or there's a bunker here on the front left that a false front will feed down into. Like that's fine, you know. Just bunkers. Okay, you got a bunker on the left and the back and on the right, and you know it's okay if you hit it in there because you can get up and down probably. Um, you know, it, it, as long as they. Uh, you know, really make a point to penalize these guys when they do make a mistake, I'm good. Yeah, you're probably right. But, I mean, looking at this at this first hole that we've got, we got pulled up here, it feels like that bunker on the left-hand side, there's 304, but the best golfers in the world can carry that. And once you carry it, you've got 50 yards to the next hazard. So what what is stopping somebody like Rory from just blasting driver 
hitting it 315 and then runs out to wherever it runs out to and then you've got he's got a sandwich into the green and even if he's in the rough like the rough it doesn't look as long as you're in the first cut it doesn't look that bad so bomb the driver as far as you can hit a wedge into the green and make a putt that's a birdie right yeah yeah i mean it's not that easy i mean you know it's look at there's look at that fescue on the left if i can't tell you how wide that fairway is that's the other thing is the fairway is probably stupid narrow um, and I mean, the thing about Lynx courses is they're going to be hard, but a lot of times it's going to be pretty short, you know? I mean, when I went and played St. Andrews, the first fairway is like 180 yards wide or something, something crazy like that. A lot of short grass, but also a lot of hard, like just hard ground. They can get you in trouble. Bunkers are more penalizing than they are in the States. Um, but unless the wind and the rain, Buck their head, buckets head. It's it's going to be tough to 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 really challenge these guys on this course. I think. So I don't know. I I think that's as much as we can dive into course architecture. I'm sure as heck emptied out on it. Do you have anything else to say <laughs> on on the course at all? Nothing. No, nothing specifically. Um, there just for all those that are listening. If you go to YouTube, there is a awesome little series of videos where you can watch. A, a drone flyover of every hole at Port Rush, which is cool. I think and each video is like thirty seconds long. You can bang it out in like ten minutes. I watched it last night. It is uh, a lot of great information going into the tournament, so I think that's useful for the viewer. Useful. A couple of notes: they changed a couple of holes, the seventeenth and eighteenth of the course, um, are replaced by two new holes, the seventh and the eighth, which is currently part of the other. There's two courses there, so part of the other course. Um, so they redesigned it a little bit, and they made the 17th and 18th holes like a tented village. Um, they also lengthened the second hole by 40 yards and realigned the 10th, which is now the new 12th with the added holes. The par on the course is still a par 72, but they increased the length by almost 200 yards to 7,337. So... Um, that also, is one other thing before we move on from the course is I I was watching these little videos and it looks like on the back nine there's only one par three and one par five so there's seven par fours on the back nine. Yeah, that's yeah. weird. It's weird, man. It is weird. I mean, it is, but like in general, par fives are scoring holes and par three are risk holes, and so if you take one out of each, it's kind of a wash. I think uh, I'm not sure why they did that. Golf over in Europe's weird, so that's all I can say. Fair enough. But let's move on and talk about the actual players who we're really going to be worried about come Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The odds love the hometown guy. That's Rory McIlroy, who grew up in Northern Ireland, and he's back playing this course. I don't know how much he played it growing up. He's got the course record there, there, right? I think he shot Does a he 60. Really? He shot a 61 at Portrush when he was 16 years old. You keep talking, I'm going to confirm that. At, at, when he was 14 years old? 16, I believe. Oh, 16 years old. Still, that's crazy. Um but yeah, it's it's definitely um you know, a a stacked uh leaderboard when you look at guys that they have uh you know, thinking that they're up there in odds. McElroy's first, then Kepka, DJ Rom, Big Cat at 1600, Justin Rose, Molinari, Cantley, Fleetwood, Shoffley, um, Scott, Stinson, Thomas, Fowler, Spee. So 
the usual candidates. But one thing I thought was interesting is when we were talking about the Masters and we were talking about uh, the U.S. Open and the PGA, Kepka, DJ, and Rory were all, you know, and Tiger really were about plus 900, plus 800. But Kepka and Rory are by far the favorites, which, I don't know, really surprised me. Um, not that they're the favorites, but by they're the, they're the favorites by, you know, DJ's plus 1,600 and Kepka's plus 950. You get it, DJ's only won one, one major, and I don't think he'll win this one, but still, Kepka and McElroy are by far, far the favorites. So the question I want to ask you first on McElroy is he's going to be the most talked about player in this entire field because he's expecting to come home, expected to come home and win this for Northern Ireland. He's going to have a huge following. I can't imagine the amount of people that are going to be around him. It's definitely going to be Tiger-esque. So with all that pressure on him, do you think he underperforms or overperforms this week? I don't think we have any way of knowing. I heard someone say, I don't remember who it was, but they, they can – they basically compared what Rory was going to go through this week to what Tiger goes through every single week. And I don't know that we've really seen anyone else have to deal with that spotlight, the level that Tiger has to do every week, you know, week in, week out, every tournament he shows up to. But it's going to be squarely on Rory this week. I mean, the tournament's in his backyard. He's got – I imagine he's been there. I think he's been there for the last couple of weeks. And can you imagine all the, the media he's having to do, the events, even the personal stuff like family, friends, all that kind of stuff. It's, everybody wants to come see him while he's there. And if he doesn't win the tournament, it's going to be a disappointment. And I don't know that we have any way of knowing how he's going to handle that. I mean, at first blush, it seems like, well, of course, it's going to be like the storybook, the movie – He's going to come through and he's going to win on Sunday. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he just doesn't have it. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's going to miss the cut, but I wouldn't be surprised if he tees off really early on Sunday and is never never has a chance. Yeah. I I mean, listen, I, that's sort of been the case for him in the last couple majors. But the last time I remember him having a ton of pressure on him would be at the Ryder Cup. And... That's sort of different. I'm talking about the one at Hazeltine, and, I mean, people were against him big time, and he showed up in a huge way. He ended up losing to Jordan Reed, or Justin, uh, Patrick Reed in <laughs> one of the, yeah, one of those guys. Patrick Reed in in the singles match that when they went off first. But, I mean, he plays butt off. And so I think he could definitely come out and just, he was like, I'm winning this thing. Nobody's going to stop me and get the crowd going and win it. But it's going to be interesting to see because he very well could fall apart too. I can't wait to watch it because he could be – well, let me let me pose it to you in a question. If if they're going off the back nine on Sunday and Rory and Kepka are playing together and they're tied on number 10, who would you favor in that specific situation? Rory trying to win in his hometown – or Brooks being the robot, the best golfer in the world. Who do you got? Do you do you trust Rory in that situation? I think if Rory's in it, he wins. I kind of agree. I kind of think that's right. I think he's either going to win or he's going to finish eight strokes off the lead. Yeah, yeah. If if he's within three, he wins. Um, he's. I think he closed, especially at on a, at home. You know, so I I think he definitely would. Let's talk about DJ. DJ is a third favorite. Him, Rom, and 
and, and Tiger. Does DJ have a chance to win this tournament? I think DJ is going to finish second because DJ finishes second at every major. Is it going to be a fight with somebody and him finish second, or is it going to be like he enters Sunday T13 and, and finishes second? That's the DJ play, right? Is DJ will have one of the first Thursday or Friday, he'll shoot, you know, like a 65. And then on Saturday, he'll shoot even par, and he'll be four shots off the lead on Sunday, and he'll just put up like a sneaky 67 and be in the clubhouse and end up finishing two strokes off in second place. Because, yeah. I, because I think I mean, we joke about Kepka. I honestly believe that Dustin Johnson's the best golfer in the world. Because every tournament he shows up at, he finishes in the top ten. And he just hasn't like hasn't had the right confluence of events to come together to string off a bunch of wins like Kepka has. But like DJ doesn't ever miss the cut. He doesn't ever finish thirtieth. When he plays a tournament, he's always in contention. But so, no, I don't think he's gonna win. I got let me let me ask you this. Let's say I'm giving you odds on a golfer, okay, and I say, All right, you can take Brooks Kepka three to one to win this tournament. I'll give you those odds. Or I'll give you Dustin Johnson ten to one to win this tournament. Like do you take Dustin Johnson there? I think Dustin Johnson is the correct bet in that situation. Just like I think if you look at these these odds, Dustin Johnson's plus sixteen hundred, whereas Brooks is plus nine fifty. I think Dustin is the right bet. I think that the odds are unbalanced. You know what I'm saying? Right. At the same yeah. time, though, I think Brooks is more likely to win the tournament than Dustin Johnson is. So if you actually want to make money on your bet, you'd take Brooks, even though the odds aren't as good as DJ's. There are quite a bit, a, a good amount of Euros that are on top of this leaderboard of, you know, their odds. I, I mean, of the top, you know, 30 people on here, McElroy, uh, Rom, Rose, Molinari, Fleetwood. Uh, Hendrick Stinson is Stinson. in the top. What's the deal with that? Matt Sianna's not a Euro. Uh, Wallace, Ustazen, Paul Casey, Ustazen, Weisberger. Us- yeah, you're right, actually. Um, not American either. Graham no, McDowell. Graham McDowell, actually, this is his home course. And he had to, I think it was at Pebble. Was it at Pebble or was it at the Memorial? I think it might have been the Memorial. Yeah, it was a Memorial when he made that putt to get in this tournament. So really cool to see him here. He knows the ins and outs of this course, which is why he's up so high in the leader of the on the um, on the odds sheet. But I, I don't think Graham McDowell is going to win. Hold up. Why is Rafa Cabrera Bayo up so high? Never mind. I scrolled down too far. Never mind. He's still well, a partner. I thought he would be. He almost won the Scottish Open at last um, week. Actually, no, the Irish. No, sorry, the Irish Open the week before that. Rom came in, came and stormed and won. Weisberger won the Scottish Open last week, which is why he's up so high. A lot of Euros in that plus sixty six hundred range. Weisberger, McDowell, Leishman, Fitzpatrick. Cabrera Bayo and Lowry, all in that range. Kind of like these Euros know how to play these courses, so we don't want to give them too long odds. And then Pepperell and Poulter are right behind them. Sergio, too, and Hatton. So a lot of Euros to pick from if you want to go that route. Let me 
this has nothing to do with anything so far. Did you see the hat Kevin Kisner wore de- today to his practice round? No, what did it say? <laughs> it just it was like a gray hat with blue writing that just said 1776. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, he did. I swear he did. Yeah, he sure did. Continue. Continue talking about whether sorry, I saw Kevin Kisner's name. That was So uh, so oh, where's maybe. where's Kisner on this list? Kisner, yeah, Kisner's either going to win the thing or finish DFL. Yeah. One of the one of the two. This um, feels like one of those tournaments where Kisner's caddy's going to be booking a flight at like nine thirty Friday morning. <laughs> Him and Thorborn Olson as well. Yeah, they're going to be looking for the first flight Dear out of God. Northern Ireland. I know you're. I know you're going to be eyeing Thorborn Olson on your long shot oh, picks here in a minute. False. I'm a beer regard guy. Yeah. True. All right. <laughs> Look. At the leaderboard, or the odds, I keep calling it the leaderboard. Is there anybody else you want to talk about and point out that you think would be is going to be interesting in this tournament? We have a nasty habit on this podcast, a habit that I never realize is happening until after we've posted the pod. But this is, this is going to be the fourth consecutive major where we've gotten out of the portion where we talk about players without fully talking about Tiger Woods. Can we talk about Tiger Woods on a preview podcast of a major? All right, because I feel like we always gloss over it. We talk about Brooks, we talk about DJ, we talk about McElroy. Can we talk about the big cat? What do you want to say about the big cat? I want you to tell me before the tournament starts if Tiger's going to be in contention. That's all I want to know. Is he going to be in one of the featured groups on Sunday? Or is it going to be like it was at Pebble where like they just showed a few Tiger shots, but he was 10 strokes back and it didn't matter? Or is he going to miss the cut? He might miss the cut. Tiger's known to miss a few cuts. I think Tiger finishes T twelve. I I think he I think he tees off maybe like T twenty five on Sunday, T thirty, shoots a pretty low round and finishes like T twelve. I don't think he's ever in contention. I feel like I'm gonna give the same analysis I gave about Rory, but I feel like this course potentially sets up very well for Tiger because in my amateur opinion it looks like it's gonna be a lot of mid to long irons into greens and tiger is one of the best players in the world at hitting those shots if tiger is able to get his back loosened up and he feels good physically i think tiger is going to be in contention on sunday and if he can't i think he might be flying home saturday morning too but i wouldn't be surprised with either of those options i would be kind of surprised in your scenario i don't think tiger is going to be on like the outskirts of contention i think he's going to be in the thick of it or he's going to be completely out of it yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be one of the two. I think if he's in contention, he wins. Unless he's facing, facing McElroy, then I don't know. We'll see. I think it's a total McElroy scenario here. You think all, it all comes down to Rory? No, I'm, I'm just saying if Tiger Woods is in contention, I think he wins. If he's out of contention, I think he probably like doesn't he's, – he's not going to be close and lose is what I'm trying to say. I think it's McElroy esh in a sense of he's either going to not be in the picture at all or he'll probably win the tournament. I hope more than anything we get Rory and Tiger both in the top five on Sunday. And it would be fantastic if they were in the same group, but even if they're not, I want both of those guys in contention because I want to see what the golfing public at large does with those two playing against each other in this situation. Because I think it'll be cur- – be, I'm very curious to see 
where who who people are rooting for. Let me ask you this: If there's sixty thousand people at Royal Portrush on Sunday, and Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy tee off together in the last group in the last game, as they call it, how many people are following that group? Um, thirty thousand. <laughs> like that's ridiculous, but like maybe I don't know. Well, I, I was trying to think of the most people that would be feasible to because if they're in the last group, you can have as many people as you want behind you because you're not like you you know after they tee off, you can just walk down the fairway right behind them. So who cares? Right. So yeah, exactly, I mean, nobody's going to play it anymore. It will be as many as the authorities will allow. That's what I'll say. And man, I hope that happens. If that happens, I don't know if this, I don't know if it's going to be possible. But if that happens, we've got to move heaven and earth to live pod while that's going on because that would be unbelievable. It would it would be amazing. It would be must see TV for sure. Um, okay, let's get to some picks. Can we? Absolutely. All right. So we have another bet that's been placed by Mister Sam Lewis here. He thinks he knows exactly who I'm going to pick as my favorite and as the guy I'm putting down on the sheet of this to win this major and eliminate him from all future picks if he does not. <laughs> I do know who. At first, before we get into this, did you send me the doc that had the bets on it? Because I thought I had it, but I don't see it. Um, I'm not sure. If I didn't, I will send it to you. I think it was on a Google sheet. Oh, yeah, but, it was in a sheet. Never. Okay, I yeah. got it. Yes, I do know who you're going to pick. Okay, so we're going to go completely off of the honor system here. I want to hear you type it in. To like type it in. I want to hear the, the keyboard. But, yes, I, I trust you not to cheat or lie. All right, I'm going to go to my Google sheet. You go ahead and pick, make your pick. Because oh, I just, who, make my pick of who I'm picking to win the tournament? Make your pick of who you're picking to win the tournament. Okay. All right. But you, you get to go first. That's the thing is I, I got to go first at the Open, at the U.S. Open, so you get to go first at this one. Okay. I'm typing it in right now into this. Okay. My not, pick. My well, pick. Well, hold. Do you want me to bet on who your pick is? Because I know who it's going to be. Okay. Who's it going to be? That's the bet, right? You, so you you sandbagged me into not taking Brooks Kepka at the last one. So then you took Brooks Kepka and you did that so you could take Rory McIlroy in his home country at his home course at the U.S. at the at the Open presented by Her Majesty the Queen. You're taking Rory McIlroy. I knew you were going to say I'm picking Rory, and I'm, I don't know if I'm if I'm straying from this because I don't because I knew you were going to say I'm picking Rory, but the person I am choosing to win the Open is John Rahm. Wow. I think you're overthinking yourself on this one. I think I got in your head without meaning to. Maybe you got in my head, so now you can take Rory <laughs> and do this. But listen, Rom won the Irish Open not too long ago. He is a top eight, top six player in the world, has yet to win a major. He's playing in Europe. I think he gets it done here. He's got the fifth best odds on this sheet. Actually, the third best odds, really, is tied. I think there's a very good chance John Norm wins this if somebody else not named Brooks Kepka wins it. I just think the pressure is going to be too much for McElroy. He's 
sort of a loose cannon sometimes, and I feel comfortable going with John Rom on this. <laughs> so you're taking John Rom because someone else is a loose cannon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love the logic. I love the logic. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. I. Okay. That, that one took me by surprise. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, so I was assuming you were going to take Rory. So that kind of throws throws me off here because let me walk you through my process. I assumed you were going to take Rory. I knew from the minute you took Brooks Kepka at the U.S. Open that you were going to take Rory in this spot. So you not doing this has thrown off three weeks of pod prep for me. I was going to take exactly what I wanted. (laughs) I was going to take Justin Rose because I think I I was Rosie because I think Rose has been playing really well. He was in contention at the U S open. He's been playing well in a lot of these other tournaments. He is European. So, I mean, stereotypically he's got to play well on links courses, right? I don't know, but maybe I was going to take Rose. He's got the what sixth best odds. He's going to be in contention. That's who I was going to take. But now you've left Rory on the board. I feel kind of bad about it, but I think I have to take Rory McIlroy. I think I have to. Wow. I don't want. I don't want to, but I think I have to. So you're taking Rory McIlroy to win. I am the Open Championship. I am. I think, man, if he actually wins this, it's going to be golf world is going to go berserk, and Northern Ireland is going to go berserk. It's, I just, I don't think he does, but I guess we'll see. I don't think he does either, but I think he's the most likely to, the most likely person not named Brooks Kepka anyway, and we can't take Brooks. And really the reason I'm doing this, the reason I'm taking Rory is, is not to like to needle you because you like Rory. It's not for any reason like that. The reason I'm doing it is because if Rory wins this tournament and neither one of us picked him to win this tournament, we have to cancel the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or at least not talk about golf anymore. And what else are we going to talk about? There's no other sports happening right now. Unless we're going to become that's a Braves podcast, which I'm all about, then there's no other sports to talk about. Let's go ahead and pick a couple other people just so we can have more people on the board and more people to more people to root for. Especially since I picked Woodland in our, this deal last time. You did. You, you One of your, what, what do you call it, sleepers? Long Gary shots. Woods? Yeah, Gary Woodland. You nailed it. Okay, so we got our sleepers, which is anybody from Matt Kuchar on, plus 3,300 to... So after Jordan Spieth. To Webb Simpson, okay? All right, Kuchar down to Webb Simpson. All right. You're going to have two picks from that group and then three long shots, which is everybody after that. Phil Mickelson is in play for a long shot, just so... Phil Mickelson is not going to make the cut. All right, since I went first, I'm going to give you the first chance. We'll do a little snake draft. So you go first here, and I'll, I'll pick two, and then, then you pick the other one. That'll work. One other guy I want to talk about who's technically above the Kucher line in this um, that I think has a legitimate chance to win and you can get pretty good odds on is Adam Scott and his ridiculous baggy pants. I think he's also got a good chance this week. The MC uh, Hammer pants. The MC Hammer pants yeah, but he could can't be putt, lifting a jug. Which he can't is putt scary. Until he can putt. Like, you know. Until until he just rams him in off the flagstick. Hey, the flagstick is your best friend sometimes, and sometimes it's not. All right. It wasn't my, my best friend when we <laughs> played the other day. Well, That's I for sure. I didn't hit a flagstick, and every putt I hit ended up 16 feet past the hole, so we don't <laughs> want to talk about that. <laughs> so my, my first long shot pick, 
Let's see here. I, we should probably break these down pre-pod so I can look at this. I'm not just thinking through this out loud on the fly, but you know what? I like it. Um, it's very informal. It's very informal. Uh, in the nature of informal, I'm going to informally choose Matt Wallace as my first long shot pick. Wow, Matt Wallace, it's your first sleeper pick. Matt my Wallace sleeper, is one of sorry, my... I get, I get this confused. The lingo is evading you, it for is, sure. It is. It's, uh, yeah, it's evading me like those pins at the on, what at, uh, <laughs> at the Hermitage were last week. Right, the pins yeah, were evading no doubt. me. All right. Matt Wallace, great pick. I think you picked him just because he's British, but that's... I don't know if you, yeah, you, you've obviously picked up on my um, strategy going into this, is I'm taking all of the Brits. Well, I'm going to follow suit and take Graham McDowell. And oh, I know, man, I thought I could get GMAC on the come around. Yeah, I'm taking GMAC. He knows this course. Why not? I think he could very well. He's, he's not, he's not going to miss a cut, right? Like, I think he's somewhere in it. Does he win? Probably not. But, heck, he could. So, he's going to be my first one that I pick. Man, there's a lot of good guys here that... I'm definitely not picking Kuchar. You knew that right away. I knew you weren't. I almost um, picked Kuchar just to spite you. I'm not going to pick DeChambeau or Matsuyama. Jason Day sitting there at plus 4,000, and he could definitely win it, but... He's the ultimate guy who could either... That. He's the ultimate guy who could either win it or shoot 15 over. Weisberger won last week, so he's interesting, but... I'm going to go with Big Leash as my second sleeper. Oh, man. I was looking at Leash. Leash is a great golf player. I was hovering over stuff, Leash. Has the, the repertoire to win a major. Hasn't yet. I think he could break through this week. Have you seen the, I think it's a Golf Channel video, of Leashman's backyard? Uh-uh. He is obsessive about his backyard. He, every, Whenever he's home, he mows it every single day. He's planted Bermuda grass, and he like cuts it with a real mower. He's got a golf course in his backyard, but he like lives in a subdivision, so it's like the whole yard is like a hundred square yards. <laughs> and he's like he's got the chipping area. He's got the green piece set up with the flag. It's you should look it up. It's incredible. Sounds like something I need to put in my backyard. Yeah, right, definitely. Okay, so you got G Mac and Leash. I took Matt Wallace. I'm going to take. Let's see. This is the last sleeper pick, right? Correct. So I, I'm down to to your boy Matt Fitzpatrick, Matthew Fitzpatrick, excuse me, or the Irishman Shane Lowry. And I think being on the island of Ireland, which is a difficult thing to say, the Irishman Shane Lowry is going to be my second sleeper pick. We we yeah. have <laughs> all, we have selected so far. Six euros. So there you go. Exactly. You, you, yeah, you know who's going to win this tournament, don't you? Big Cat. Either him or Brooks Kepka. Yeah, one of the two. All right, let's go to some long shots. We're going to get three long shots, guys, that are plus 10,000 or over. Do you want to go first here or do you want to go second in this snake draft? I'll let you go first because I went first on the sleepers. All right. Gosh, there's a. There's a lot of guys that just sort of, you know who's not going to win is Bubba Watson. That's Bubba's for sure. definitely not going to win. 100% not going to win. Who also is not going to win is Rory Sabatini. So, <laughs> the only Austrian or, on tour, though. Or Miguel Angel Jimenez. <laughs> is, no, Neither, is he starting? 
Yeah. No way. He's, he's, he's plus uh, 100,000, so you can lock him in if you want to. Good for him. Uh, wow. Yeah. Hit him along with uh, Jack Sr. and uh, Yuki Inamori. So you, know, you can feel free to pick any of those guys. Um, I'm actually going to take at plus 10,000 the guy you hated on earlier, which with the 1776 hat and pick Kevin Kisner <laughs> as my first long shot because he's he's won tournaments. He I think if he's in contention, he doesn't get overwhelmed by it. Relatively Major champion, right? Good iron iron player. Did he win a major? I uh, yeah sure. I don't think he did. Informally, going to look it up right now. I'm going to say I bet he did. Up. I think he's a U.S. Open winner, but hold on. Keep talking. He did not win the U.S. Open. Not this um, U.S. Open. No, a U.S. Open. <laughs> Any U.S. Open. <laughs> <laughs> That's he has not never won a, even a U.S. Am. Oh um, no, he won two U.S. Ams. Come on. I think Kevin Kisner has is just as good of a chance as any of these long shots to win. So he's my first choice. Yeah, he actually finished second at last year's Open, so that's what I was thinking about. See, I know what I'm talking about. The, yeah, exactly. Perfect. Okay, so my sleeper picks, my picks to this point have all either been Euros or guys who have been playing well lately. So in that vein, I'm going with Chez. I mean, it's as, it's as good as anything else. It's as good as pick as any other way I'm going to pick anybody. I'm going with Ches Reedy because he he played very well at the U.S. Open at Pebble, and he wears a golf hat that has the Arizona Diamondbacks logo on it, so he's clearly a baseball fan. You can't be a bad person and a baseball fan, so that's who I'm going with, Ches. Not a Euro, though. Not a Euro. But the only Euros left on the board are either Scandinavian or Danny Willett, and I'm not taking any <laughs> Scandinavians, and I'm not taking Danny Willett. So. It's not the Masters, so you can't take Danny Willett. It's not I the mean, Masters in 2008, so I'm re- not... <laughs> he won in, like, 2015. Shenanigans. Look it up. In, in the meantime, <laughs> no. I'll, talk about, I'll talk about how Ches Reeve won, like, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, either in Detroit or in Minnesota, one of the two. And or he finished John like Deere. it was not the John Deere. I forgot who won John Deere, but no one you've heard of. Wait, was it uh, Wolf that won the John Deere? I no, Wolf. Wolf won in Minnesota. Ches won in Detroit. Okay, there you go. We backed into it. We know what we're talking about. All right? Who won? In, who won the John Deere? It's no one you've ever heard of. All of the good <laughs> players were playing in Scotland last week. True, but. Reeve was in the second-to-last group at the U.S. Open with Kepka. Played pretty good. Did not show a single shot of his on Now on one shot on live television. <laughs> but he finished like T4 or something. So there you go. Good pick. All right. Dan, you have Danny one Willett. more pick. Danny Willett, 2016 Masters. You, I could have yeah, guessed all day. I would not have got that. <laughs> uh, my second pick, continuing in the same vein, is going to be Aaron Wise. Youngster also played well at Pebble, played well at one of those other random tournaments in between Pebble, and now he is a very talented golfer. I think he won the Collegiate National Championship at uh, Oregon, maybe, a couple of years ago. Aaron Wise, first major you know, champion. 
I'm tempted to combat your strategy of picking guys that are either one European or two playing well with picking guys that are not European <laughs> and playing bad, like Phil Mickelson or Bubba Watson, but I'm I'll not tell you gonna what. go that route. I'll give you Phil and Bubba on top of your three long shot picks. <laughs> and Phil and Bubba are not making the cut. I got a better chance of making the cut than Bubba Watson this week. It's not Augusta. He's not gonna make the cut. You're not wrong. Um, okay. So you took Aaron Wise and Ches Reavy. Ches Reavy, yes. This is the second time we've done this. Full disclosure to the listener, the garage band crapped out. This is all re-recording, so you should know this by now. <laughs> you picked them a lot of times. Okay. <laughs> so I am going to go with Alex Noren as my second pick. Alex Noren was like a top 13 player in the world last year. Maybe top 20, maybe top 25. I don't know. Somewhere. He was up there. Top half. He made money. On He's a Euro. He's a Euro, so there you go. Plus is 15, he a Euro? 000. Where's he from? Full disclosure, I don't know who Alex Noren is. Uh, Sweden? Guess. Guess. That's Sweden. Good call. Good is not Euro- call. Is that European? Oh. Yeah, it's Sweden's in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Scandinavian, which I said I you aren't allowed to pick Scandinavians, but do you know how old Alexander Norn is? Uh, twenty-seven. He's thirty-seven years old. No way. Yeah, he is. Never heard of him. Good job right. by me not knowing who that guy is. All right, you, go. you got Alex Norn. Who's okay? Who's your next pick? Lee Westwood, UPS man, going to deliver the <laughs> going to deliver the Claret jug. Next year in a brown suit. <laughs> in a brown suit. You can't take a UPS man and not pick Louis. <laughs> well, I just did. Louis can only win on the European <laughs> tour because the PGA tour is sponsored by FedEx. That's true. He's and, never played Louis, a, a PGA tour event. He's never won one. He won the Masters that one year. No, he didn't even win the Masters. He comes he in just, second. They don't. They made that they don't albatross. They don't let him win the Masters because he wears a UPS hat. Just look at that. <laughs> oh, we are off the rails. Okay, Lee Westwood, good pick. Who was my third pick? Um, I got two guys that I like for this third pick. The, the first guy I like is the Ty John Daly, the uh, smoker of Happy many packs Bond of rack. cigarettes. The smoker of many cigarettes during tournament play, which is incredible. Kira Deck, Happy Bonrat. Is that but a pro not- or a con in your choice choosing? It's a pro in terms of me enjoying watching him play. <laughs> good call. I don't, I don't know if it's good for him, his score, but I don't care. Uh, love me some Happy Bonrad. I'm not picking Happy Bonrad. I'm picking Hao Tung Lee, the Chinese J- Dustin Johnson. Uh, that's all I know is that he's Chinese and he looks vaguely like Dustin Johnson and he hits the ball a long way. So Hao Tung Lee is my third, my third sleeper pick. Is that what these are called, sleeper picks? Yeah, this, oh uh, no, 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 no. We already took the sleeper Jeez. picks. These are the long shot picks. And now we're about to take the super long shot picks. Because super duper long shot. Where's the cutoff for super duper long shots? They've got to be um, plus 50,000 or worse. Deal. If you're playing the home game with us, the first guy at plus 50,000 is Callum Schwinkum. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> who's so, not going to win the tournament. <laughs> but you know who is going to win the tournament. Based on off of how many guys are here? 
30 or 40 in these odds? More than yeah, that, probably. Probably 50. And I know 60, maybe four of them, including Miguel Angel Jimenez. <laughs> Two of them are Miguel Angel Jimenez and David Duvall, <laughs> which is insane that David Duvall is starting this tournament. It can't be the same David Duvall. It's got to be like his kid. <laughs> David Duvall Jr. Um, <laughs> David Duvall the fourth. Ernie Ells also is in this tournament, including Darren Clark, who has been a Ryder Cup captain at this point. So it's fair. Major guy. champion, right? But my boy, Dimmy Papadatos, has the best <laughs> chance of winning out of this group. He's from Greece, I assume, with that name. And he's going to come with a vengeance out up the <laughs> Royal Port Rush. And he's going to win this tournament. I, as the informal authority on Dimitrios Papadopoulos, get his name <laughs> right, please. He is Greek and Australian, so there you go. How he qualified so is he for this living, tournament? Does he, does he live in no Greece idea. or Australia? Current tour, the PGA Tour of Australasia. So that doesn't answer your question. <laughs> is, so he lives in Asia. <laughs> I, I know. I, is Austra- I think Australia counts. Is it Asia. really called Australasia? The PGA Tour. You want to know who the best golfer is on the PGA Tour of Australasia? I'll tell you right now. The most. <laughs> The most titles is Kel Nagel. Oh, oh, Kel. Uh, yeah, 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 big time, big time Kel guy over here. Okay, Dimitri, D- Dimi Papadopos. Okay, Papadopos. So we talked about this before Garage Band ended, but yeah, what's going to happen? So you said if Papadopos makes the cut <laughs> and they show one shot of his on TV <laughs> Saturday or Sunday, I get a steak dinner. If Dimitrios Papadopoulos makes the cut, which isn't going to happen, if he somehow makes the cut and gets one shot shown in live action, uh, one shot shown, period. If he makes a hole in one and they show it 45 <laughs> minutes later, like, that counts. But it has to I be will, on the weekend. It has to be on the weekend. He's got to make the cut and get to the weekend and have one shot shown on TV. I will buy you a steak dinner in Altoona, in Altoona Pennsylvania. What about if, if he wins? If he wins the tournament, we will use all of our informal ad money to it. I'll, I'll put it this way: I said before that I would pay pay my way into a U.S. Open local qualifier, and we would video it and show me show, shooting a ninety-five and put that on YouTube. But if you would rather, I'll pay for you to go to a U.S. Open qualifier and I'll caddy for you, whatever you want to do. If Demi Papadopoulos wins the tournament, and then you have to take the ACT. And <laughs> not taking, not taking the ACT. It's not on the right, board. Be honest. If Papadatos wins the tournament, you'll take the ACT. I don't. That doesn't sound like near as much fun as trying to qualify for the U.S. Open. Well, which is why I'll try to qualify, and you can caddy for me. <laughs> okay, I'll caddy for you, and then I'll take the U.S. Open. Okay, there you go. All right, who's your long? Sorry, not long shot. Ultra long shot. Super duper ultra mega long shot is the bucket hat. The bucket bucket hat man himself. Bucket gang. Joel Dahman. I, why Dahman? Damon. I always say Dahman. Why is there an H in his name? There should be an H there. Da Dahman. Johnny Dahman. Joel Damon is my long shot pick. There you go. All right, that's a good pick. He's got a lot better chance to win than Papadatos, that's for sure, but you never know what can happen. Twice as good of odds, according to (laughs) Bovada. So, yeah, there you go. Is there anything else you would like to say on this golf tournament? I would like to remark on the fact that, hold on, I lost him. I had him and I lost him. Where 
there's a person in this tournament named Jorge Campillo. And Jorge Campillo <laughs> was a legendary middle reliever for the Braves 10 years ago. And I just want to give him a shout out for, for you know, falling out of baseball and finding his second career on the European tour. Good for you, Jorge Campillo. Is, <laughs> what are the chances this is really him? You think it's not? You don't think it's the same guy? Could be. I don't know. Jorge Campillo, it's not the same guy. <laughs> I don't know. Pull up his, his baseball reference. We'll see. I'm pulling up the baseball reference right now. Jorge Campillo is not actually from Spain, so that's, that's a problem. <laughs> Issue number one. Okay. All right. I think we've we beat this. <laughs> beat this to drive. Death. Um. Okay. I want to talk about one other thing next, and actually two other things. But first, I want to talk about Wimbledon. And I didn't oh, tell you. It sounded that, like we had an ad break coming. I got excited. <laughs> I want to talk about me on these. No, not yet. I want to talk about Wimbledon. And there's two things I want to talk about Wimbledon. Would you like to talk about the controversy first or the legendary match first? Um, I'm going to dealer's choice because the only thing I know about Wimbledon is that Woody Harrelson was there and he was intoxicated and they wouldn't let him back to his seat after he went to the bathroom. That's all I know about <laughs> all right, Well, that's that's not the controversy I was that talking wasn't about. It. Okay, all right. No. Let's talk about the legendary match first. And I say this because... I'm a tennis fan, full disclosure. My dad played tennis in college, so I grew up watching tennis with him. Also, had a lot of intense tennis matches with avid and formal listener Andrew Mullendore at the old Fort Tennis Courts in high school. So, take that as you will, as my expertise on tennis. But Federer and Djokovic played this year in the finals, and it went five sets. And in the past... They kept playing until one person won by two games, right? So, like, in theory, you could play for, like, ever, right? Like, if everybody keeps holding serve, you yeah. can play forever. But Isner and that other guy played for, like, six hours, right? Yeah, exactly. And you haven't heard of any of them, either of them since. I but don't know. I did, I'm not even sure his name was Isner. I made that it is, up. It is Isner. John Isner went to Georgia. Good, good job by me. Good job by you. So Federer, this was the first year that after they got to 11-11 in the fifth set, they went to a tiebreaker. And Federer ended up losing in the tiebreaker like 7-3 to to Djokovic. Djokovic won. It was a great match. My question to you is would you rather it end in a tiebreaker right there or would you rather it keep going? So explain to me what the tiebreaker means. What, what does that mean? So the tiebreaker basically means one person's going to serve one point, then the other person's going to serve for two points, then the other person's going to serve for two points, and this is the first of seven points wins, but you also have to win by two points, so it's like a mini so it set. Still, it could still go on forever. Right, but it's a lot less likely in points than it is in sets. I mean, sorry, games. Well... Full disclosure, the scoring of tennis is second only and ridiculous to the scoring of bowling to me. <laughs> it, it makes no logical sense. I don't understand it. They count 15, 30, 40, then the winner. That's not how you count on in any country on the planet, but whatever. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I didn't, I don't, I didn't I notice don't understand the controversy. 
I don't understand in bowling. Bowling it, really doesn't make some, any sense. Sometimes you bowl and you get like 15 points, and then sometimes you <laughs> bowl and you get like 8 points, and I don't know the difference. I feel like I did the same thing both times. You bowl and you knock down 8 pins, and then you knock down 2 pins, and sometimes that counts for 10, and sometimes it counts for like 27, and it, <laughs> I, I agree, it makes no sense. Okay, <laughs> well, so let's just move on to, to, the, to the controversy. Um, so have you heard of this guy named Nick Kyrgios? No. So Nick Kyrgios, a little little bit about his bio here. He is the 43rd ranked player in the world in men's singles by the American Association of Tennis Professionals. He is the second highest ranked Australian, okay? He's great won haircut. five. Great haircut. He's won five titles, uh, APT titles, and, went and reached eight titles. He has had a good career, but during much of his career, he has been met with negative reception, okay? He's been accused of tanking, verbal abuse, and unsportsmanlike conduct by much of the media and former tennis players, including John McEnroe. So, let me talk Wait, to you. John McEnroe accused somebody of bad behavior? Yeah, so that's right. that's a little All scummy. Right. That's All scummy. Right. I'm big Nick Kyrgios guy over here. Never heard of him <laughs> so, until two minutes ago. Big okay, so he, Kyrgios guy. he was playing Nadal in... I think it was like the third round or fourth round, second, I don't know, second round, some round, like a week and a half ago. And he was going at Nadal. Like he was like playing really flashy and he actually served underhand one time and caught Nadal off guard and he got into it with the chair umpire. And he also, okay, it's, it's common courtesy in tennis. Like you don't, when you're some, the other player standing at the net, and you're like kind of close to the net. You don't just whack it as hard as you can at them. Like you got to sort of hit it around them, um, just for safety purposes. But he drilled a ball and hit, hit the ball right in the chest. Okay, um, and then I love it. I feel like you should be able to do that. He he also like in the post game conference said he did it on purpose. And some this one is of my the, man. One of the reporters um, accused him of the night before being out at the bar in London. And he said, yeah, I saw you there. So, like, he was <laughs> – yeah, he's that kind of guy. Um, this is what I'm talking about. Let's, let's – okay, we're now a tennis podcast. We're Nick Kyrgios <laughs> podcast. So, I just wanted to take you through some of his other controversies as told by Wikipedia because I saw this the other day and I thought this was hilarious, okay? Hit In me. 2015 at Wimbledon, he failed to return numerous serves – and he was he was accused of tanking, which is defined as deliberately not playing up to his abilities during his second set of his fourth round loss. He was booed by the crowd for his perceived lack of effort, but he acu- denied the accusations, stating, of course, I tried. But then, in 17, he admitted to probably tanking at eight tournaments <laughs> during his professional career. <laughs> Because of certain days, he'd, quote, rather be doing something else than play <laughs> tennis. Yeah, He um, <laughs> he, in, he insulted Stan Wawrinka. Wawrinka, I don't know how you say that. But he's Wawrinka's won a couple of majors. Um, I'm getting on stuff about his girlfriend, and it was fine money for that. He was fined at... Um, the Shanghai Rolex Masters in 2016 for unsportsmanlike conduct. 
and banned for eight weeks for lack of his best efforts. <laughs> uh, at one point asking the umpire, can you call time so I can finish this match and go home? Um, <laughs> Let me ask you this before you finish this awesome list, the, the, the things this guy's been accused of. What's worse in tennis? Because I don't know anything about tennis. What would, well, let me broaden it. What's worse as an athlete? Tanking, losing on purpose, or trying your best and having people accuse you of tanking? Because that's how bad you are. What's, what's worse? Um, gosh, I want to say, like, trying your best and people accusing because you of tanking. But I feel like, like if I tried time, my best and then the first question I got in the press conference was, did you tank? I would probably <laughs> retire. I would probably like go finish my you know finish my economics degree or something. Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, regardless, your tennis career looks pretty bleak at that it's point. It's not going great for you. Um, he McEnroe questioned him. He said, "Kirgo says look in the mirror if he wants to become a top player and win slams." He questioned his attitude towards the sport, um, and. He is, Kyrgios has openly stated that he does not love tennis and he has a greater interest in basketball. Uh, he openly critiqued his dedication to the sport, um, saying, I'm not dedicated to the game at all. And there are players that are more dedicated, that want to get better, that strive to get better every day. The one percenters, I'm not that guy. Um, which I guess, good for him for saying that. Here's where it gets interesting, okay, if it wasn't interesting enough. He has also been warned or fined for various other instances of inappropriate inappropriate behavior. He was giving violations for audible obscenities and racket smashing at the 2014 U.S. Open. He was fined for audible obscenities and racket smashing at the 2015 Australian Open on sportsmanlike conduct and also fined for swearing at Wimbledon, fined for swearing at the Australian Open, where he also, get this, this is the most incredible thing, where at the Australian Open, where he also took a phone call while on court during a mixed doubles match. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Let me. <laughs> this is awesome. All right, first of all, it's awesome. Second of all, I don't believe him that he doesn't care about tennis, because if you're smashing your racket and swearing at officials, you care. First of all, true. That being Good said, point. that being said. I'm shocked that more people, more athletes aren't like this because I, I feel like we oftentimes will put this, these characteristics on athletes from afar with no evidence. We'll say like you hear it a lot of times in baseball, like, oh, he got a big contract and then his career tanked because he stopped trying or whatever. And, you know, I, nobody ever – I don't give that much credence. You know, I don't think that's accurate, but we will say that. But I'm surprised you don't hear athletes own up to it, especially in individual sports because I've never heard of this guy until right now. But I'm sure he's made enough money playing tennis to be set for the rest of his life. So if he doesn't like tennis that much, I kind of appreciate him just being like, I don't like tennis that much. Like I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play until I make enough money to retire and then I'm going to go do something I like more. Like I kind of appreciate that. I also don't taking, believe it, but I taking a it. phone call while on court during a match. Okay, so maybe this. you should probably play hard until you retire. <laughs> but it's, it's a singles, like it's an individual sport. Who cares? So 
Let's put it this way. Think about it. So the major is basically like a playoff game. So think about like, I don't, I don't know, Julio Tehran pitching in a playoff game and in between the first and second innings, they show him on screen in the dugout. Cause I'm, I'm going to give Kyrgios here the, the benefit of the doubt and say it was like during a change or something. Surely and he wasn't like halfway through a surf. Surely. So uh, let's say you look at Tarad, they show him in the dugout and he's just talking to somebody on his cell phone. Like that's, or like think about if, I don't know, Tom Brady was made a call on a cell phone sitting on the sidelines in between possessions or something. Well, it's two different questions because if Tom Brady does it, like a certain portion of the population is going to be really mad, and another portion is going to be like, he's the greatest of all time. It doesn't matter. That's true. If Julio, we'll say if Julio Tehran does it, first of all, if Julio Tehran's pitching meaningful, meaningful playoff innings, buddy, we got a problem. <laughs> so we got problems beyond him taking cell phone calls. We should have traded for somebody at the deadline. That's my that's my Braves take. Is no playoff innings for Julio Tehran, please. If it was someone that might actually pitch in the playoffs, say like Dallas Keuchel's on his phone over there. I don't know, man. I don't know how I'd react to that. That's so outlandish and unbelievable that I can't, I can't even picture it in my head and formulate a response. Um, okay. Last two things about him. He was fine for making an obscene gesture during a changeover in his semifinal match against Marin Cilic in 2018. I'm going to cut the- you off again. <laughs> People always say "quote unquote" obscene gesture. Like there's not more. There's there's not only one. Like there's only one. <laughs> right. So you, you know whatever. whatever. Everybody okay. knows what he did. The last one, 2019. This year, he was defaulted, which I guess means thrown out or disqualified <laughs> from a second round match with Casper Rudd after swearing at a line judge, kicking a bottle, and hurling a chair onto the court. He was fined 20,000 euros and forfeited all prize money and points earned during the event and was told to cover the costs of his hospitality. Oh, yeah, but he doesn't like tennis. Okay. <laughs> Launched a chair onto the court. So <laughs> that's really all I had about Wimbledon, but I just thought that guy was something we needed to talk about. I don't- I don't think we talked about Wimbledon. We talked about my boy Kyrgios, and I appreciated it. Thank you for giving giving me my new favorite tennis player. You're welcome. And he's fun to watch. I would watch him. He's, like, stupid good. I watched a little bit of his, his match with Nadal. He is stupid athletic and good. He, like, more athletic than Nadal was, but he just doesn't care or cares very minimally. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to talk about, and you can add anything else after this, is – the Atlantic League put in some new rules recently after their all-star break. And one of them is hitters now have the ability to steal first base. Have you yes. heard of this? Yes. Okay, we're an hour and ten minutes into this podcast where we had literally nothing to talk about. And now is where we start the half-hour-long conversation about the Atlantic League new rules. Let's go. Okay. The only one I really want to talk about is stealing first base. So for the people that haven't heard of this, basically – if at any point during the at-bat, the catcher drops the ball, so the ball gets past them, it hits the dirt, whatever, the hitter can turn around and run to first base, basically like if he swung at a strike three and it got past the catcher. And if he gets there, he's stolen first base. What do you think about this rule? It's incredible. I don't know if I like it or not, but it is incredible. Because I – okay, you're a pitcher. I want you to put your – like 
put on your hitter shoes for a minute. Imagine you're in the batter's box. It's OO. Not only do you have to think about whether or not, like what pitch is coming, what your approach is at the plate, you have to decide before the at bat if the ball gets away from the catcher, are you going to try to steal first base or not? And you got to like know it immediately because if you think about it in the moment, that your chance is gone. It's incredible. At what point are you like trying to steal first base? Like if you like take one step, do you have to go or like? Well, that's could you test gotta, the waters. I think it's got to be like a pretty hard and fast rule because like it, you could see a very feasible scenario where like you take a couple of steps and the ball comes hard off the backstop and then you shut it down. You're like, oh no, I was just you know I fell forward or whatever. So you'd have to iron that out. But I love the drama of this. I don't know if I like it as a rule or not, but I would just love to see it happen in a real baseball game because I want to see the thought process of a hitter. So if you're if you're Freddie Freeman or you're Mike Trout or you're one of the best hitters in the world and you could obviously – like the ball gets far enough away from the catcher where you know you could take first base, are you taking first base or are you keeping your bat trying to hit a bomb? What are you going to do? It's a dilemma. I think if you get a chance to be on first base, you always take the chance to be on first base. Well, what if it's like a 50-50 chance? What if you don't know if you can make it? Are you going to take the risk? It's incredible. It is unbelievable. And I don't know if I want them to put it in major leagues or not, but I love that they're doing stuff like this in the Atlantic League. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, I want to watch an Atlantic League game. I haven't seen can one. Can you I would watch love an Atlantic to League game? How do you watch <laughs> Atlantic League games? Yeah, There's got to be a way. We need to take a trip to an Atlantic League ballpark and watch one of these games. It's going to be difficult when you're playing professional baseball at the same time True. as Atlantic League games. I mean, can you like request a sick day, or how does that work? Nah, I don't think it works like that. Okay, well, the stealing first base thing is cool, but they also have robot umps now. Oh, so those are full-time. I don't know if it's full-time, but it's in games. It's happening in games as of the first game after the All-Star break. <laughs> Do you like the robo robo lump? I don't know. I've never seen it. I have no idea. I think it's I read the athletic article about it and apparently like they interviewed one of the pitchers in the games, one of the relief pitchers, and he said he didn't know that there was a robo lump until after the game when they told him about it. Because the umpire's still standing back there and he just got an earpiece <sighs> in and the guy is on like there's a guy on Trackman in the booth watching Trackman and then telling the umpire whether it's a ball or a strike and the umpire Signals like he regularly would. Listen, I like the idea of Robolump because he's going to give you pitches at the top of the zone and pitches that normally through perception. Umpires have for so long have been taught to judge pitches at the bottom of the strike zone because that's where the majority of pitches are and where the majority of the time the catcher sets up in the bottom of the zone. But it takes... It's they're pretty inconsistent up top, so um, I think it would be interesting to to see that uh, and just to have like a common denominator back there because like I get it being an umpire is hard, but there are a lot of games are won and lost based on a decision that an umpire makes, you know. So it, you know what I I think it would be better off if it was like tennis, right where each pitcher that came into the game had like three challenges. Okay. So in tennis, if you hit a ball and they call it out, you can go to the VAR or whatever it is and they'll, they'll review it and 
you know, they can see if the ball is in or the ball is out. So I say you do that. So like, let's say I throw a pitch and I think it's on the outside corner and the umpire calls it a ball. I can like point a signal, like tell him, Hey, I want to challenge that. And he can, you know, like look at the scoreboard or whatever and throw it on the scoreboard. And we can see if it's a ball or a strike. And if it's a strike, then I, you know, keep my challenge or whatever. If it's a ball, I lose my, I don't know. But I think that would work better than just robo-umps all the time. I think this is a very interesting conversation that we could de- we should devote an entire podcast to at some point during the wintertime. But I, I'm just all I want to say is that I love the fact that they're trying this in the Atlantic League. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And in that article I was reading, the the system actually went out completely for an inning. Like the track man shut off. And the umpire just went out there and called balls and strikes, and it was like it was it was seamless. So I think the argument has been for a long time that you can't do it because the technology is not reliable enough. And I think what this proves is the technology is reliable enough. And even if there are bugs here or there, a couple of quirks, like like you were saying, human umpires are going to miss a lot more calls than the computer is going to miss. Like it's just full stop. The computer is going to be better in terms of calling pitches correctly than the human umpires are but at the same time like the flip side of that coin is the the catcher umpire relationship is also a very interesting part of baseball and you and i've had conversations about tyler flowers and the way he presents pitches and the way that he steals strikes for his pitcher and that's a very interesting aspect of baseball it's not necessarily a fair aspect of baseball because there's nothing the hitter can do about that. Like if a pitch is three inches below the below the strike zone, it's called a strike because Tyler Flowers is a good framer. That's not fair to the hitter. It's fun to watch. But if you take that out of the game, you're probably eliminating Tyler Flowers' job because he's not good at any other aspects of catching. He can't block. He can't throw. He's a fine hitter, but he's not good enough on the bat alone to be in the, be in the majors. So there's a lot of ripple effects away from this that – I'm not convinced I won it full-time in the major leagues, but I'm really glad that they're trying it in a high-level professional league because I want to see what it looks like. The only way that I'll allow robo-umpires is if the umpires are actually robots. Like the SpongeBob when Mr. Krabs is a robot and they roll out there on wheels? Like right. That kind of? <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm in. Exactly you sold me. Right. All, right, all, all qualms are gone. Start it tomorrow. <laughs> is there anything else you want to talk about? Absolutely not. Okay. All right. Well, this is a lot of fun. As usual, I'm, I'm glad we got to hop on and do this. Um, you know, we do about once a month, so we'll have to figure out something else to pot on in August. We're gonna, this is the last the last major championship in golf. We're going to have to figure out something something else to pot about. I'm not potting about the FedEx playoffs, so we can go ahead and no? nix that. Yeah. When's the Ryder um, Cup? In about a 14 months, 15 oh, months. Perfect. Maybe we'll be back in the Super Secret Podcast studio. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, thank you all for listening, whoever's still listening at this point. Uh, we appreciate it. As, as always, hit us up on Twitter or email and send us your voicemails. We'll put the number out, so do that if you want to. We'll play them on the pod. But as always, for Sam, I'm Austin. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace. Peace.